Sunday Night Las Vegas, the Super Sunday Night Edition of Heatwave Sports. Welcome on in. Tim Unglesby and Ryan with you here in Las Vegas, Nevada. My co-host, as always, back on the East Coast, Tom Barton, TomBartonSports.com. And we're with you for the next two hours as we get you into Monday. Start another week again, but we get you closer to the pigskin. Tommy, we have... I looked it up on your website. I did I did the research. 32 days until kickoff for the NFL. 32 days away from the NFL. There he is. There he is. I've been talking the whole time. What did you hear? Anything? Just myself. I heard myself breathing. So 32 okay. days, Tommy. 32 days away. National Football League game one on a Thursday repeat, night. Tim, I'll repeat what I was saying, okay? Oh. What I was saying is that we have – no more Sundays. This is the last Sunday that we have without NFL action. And we could, you know, say it's preseason, whatever, and me and you, we have the same feeling about preseason. doesn't really matter. Uh, but America does care. I talked about it on my sports garden show this morning on Wanna Bet Weekend Edition. I talked about it. 5.7 million Americans, Tim, tuned into the Hall of Fame game. 5.7 million people tuned into that game. Now, that is more than the Stanley Cup this year average. That is more than the 2021 NBA playoffs average. That is more than a lot of baseball playoff games average. Tim, 5.7 million people tuned into the Hall of Fame game. That's without Carr. That's without Waller. That's without Jacobs. It's without anybody big. It's kind of the game that's in almost the middle of the summer. It's basically played in July, right? So while we don't really care about the preseason, preseason's coming it's here this thursday it's here the nfl is king and it's taking over once again so is that a is that an indictment of how uh bad people that are football fans want football to be back or is it more of just um there's nothing they had nothing better to watch you know when because i saw on different social media uh, posts i see i saw people had Preseason kickoff parties and bars were showing. Up. I want to know how many people actually, Tom, watched that game like they would watch a regular season game. I'm not going to believe. I would say less than 10% of those people watched that football game. It, it may have been on, but nobody was paying attention. You know, I disagree a little bit. And here's why I disagree because I think people are just so unbelievably thirsty for the NFL now. So they have nothing going on it's the middle of the summer they have nothing going on kind of hanging out kind of in their pool kind of drinking beers kind of you know a little barbecue going on and they have no nfl to look forward to so they go you know what i'm gonna throw the game on right i mean i'm gonna watch a little bit of it just so i can get some kind of taste of football some kind of semblance of football you know what it reminds me of it reminds me of the old wednesday night mac games on espn right it used to be Wednesday night maction, and it would be, you know, Ohio against Bowling Green. Not a human being alive that is watching that could name more than three guys on either roster. 90% of their audience don't even know where Ohio University uh, is or <laughs> Bowling Green, right? Um, but people would watch it. It would crush in the ratings. It would do really well. And the Mac took over on Wednesday because people just wanted some sort of football. So I think that that has a lot to do with it. I know you said that people weren't watching it. I think people were just because they wanted some kind of football and just something to, to go. All right. I watched. I'll say, I'll say this. Josh McDaniels did play 
<clears throat> a couple starters. We saw Jacobs out there for actually played a decent amount of time for a starter. Uh, but when you when you look at and you know it's it's uh, the preseason's good for watching your backup quarterback play, right, Tom? Just in case the the main guy goes down, you're familiar with who your backup is. You can kind of see how their understanding of the game. So, so Jared Stidham was out there for you know a while. Nick Mullins as well for the Raiders. On the other end, you saw Jacksonville led by USFL quarterback Kyle Slaughter. So it wasn't like Lawrence was out there. We, we didn't see we didn't see the guns of Jacksonville out there. And and Jacobs was done by what, Tom? Middle of the second quarter. So the second half of that game, in which, ironically enough, Jacksonville ended up uh, winning the second half of the football game, even though they lost by double digits. Was there really 5.7 million people tuned in at that time, right, Tom? I, I think it drastically went down after the first quarter. Oh, I'm sure. And I'm sure that there was a lot of people – you know, jumping on and going, oh, okay, I'm going to watch for uh, whatever, 10 minutes. Uh, you know what I mean? I'm going to watch for for a half hour. I'm going to watch for whatever it may be. You know, it's not going to be sitting back and, and watching the full game. Uh, but it still gives you a number. It still gives you a 5.7 number, which yeah. still says that people are actually watching. I actually expect this weekend's games to go down a little bit because now people got a taste of it. And who cares to watch all the games? You know, they wanted a little feel. They wanted a little taste of it. Um, it, it it's also, Tim, I think it's also tied into the sports betting. People are going, you know, I can't, I can't win at this baseball thing. Yeah, I'm taking th- minus 320 favorites every night. I'm losing. I, I can't win at baseball. Oh, cool. NFL is back. I'll throw something down. I also think it's tied into fantasy, right? Oh, man, I got an NFL draft coming up. I got, I got my, my draft coming up in fantasy. Might as well do a little research. And, you know, you know that you're not going to see any of your players. You want to watch it. People are watching training camp videos, Tim, all day long. See some of these training camp videos. A guy running, you know, an eight-yard out pattern. Daniel Jones today missed a route and a throw by, uh, by uh, to Kenny Galladay. One of the most ridiculous throws you'll see. Just because it was just a bad throw. I mean, we've all seen it. We've seen it a million times from high school on up. We've seen it in pop league, whatever. That video will get more hits than any baseball highlight all day today. Yeah, it's just the thirst for football. And you mentioned the, the tie-in with the sports betting, but <clears throat> as we've seen over the last, what, decade, Tom, the, the tie-in with fantasy football as well. So everybody trying to find that steal in their fantasy drafts, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I want to see second string, third string guys. I want to, you know, check it all out. It, it, it all helps. I mean, I, I think I think there's a lot to tie into it, but we could rationalize all we want. All they know is that 5.7 people, 5.7 million people watch. Do you so, so since you mentioned the sports betting and we mentioned preseason, and I know every year I ask you the question and you give me your your analysis on wagering on preseason football, has it changed a little bit when you see the training camp reports? For example, Thursday night, there's two games, Giants-Patriots, Titans-Ravens. So in the first game, Tom, we now know the Giants say Daniel Jones and Shaq Barkley are going to play a decent amount of time in this game. In game two, we know Lamar Jackson is not going to play, which we assumed anyways. But 
when you look at the Ravens in the preseason under the Harbaugh era, I don't think they've lost. They're, they have a ridiculous record in preseason football. Are these things you look at trends-wise? And then when you see also that, hey, Barkley and Jones are going to play a decent amount of time, but what does decent mean? Is it Josh Jacobs a quarter and a half decent? Obviously, he's not going to send them out there with an opportunity for them to get injured before the regular season starts. Yeah, look, um, I'll answer the first part of the question. No, TomBartonSports.com will be doing zero games this weekend on football. I have, in my almost 15-year professional career now, I have bet less than 10 NFL preseason games. I just don't do it. But if I do it, Tim, it's week three, and I think I have one week two that, that I did jump onto. Certainly not week one. And the reason is, and I did explain it this morning, is because, Tim, how can you bet on an event where the people that are in charge of the outcome, which is the head coaches, don't care if they win? Mm-hmm. They don't care. You can have individual matchups, Tim. You know, a quarterback wants to win a job. Yes. A running back wants to beat out another running back. Yes. A defensive back wants to put on a good highlight. Yes. These guys are trying. I'm not saying the players aren't trying. And I'm not even saying that the coaching staff isn't trying. But they just don't care. If they get out, if you turn around to every NFL coach in the league right now, Tim, every single NFL coach, every single one of them, and you say to them, look, here's, here's what you have. You have an option today. You can get out completely healthy out of your preseason game. You can have series where your key contributors, the people that you're counting on, step up and look good, but you lose by 30 points. Or you could win the game by 30 points. You have you know, an injury, and a couple of guys don't perform well. Every one of them, but you win the game. Every one of them is going to go, yeah, just give me the blowout. Who cares? So how can you bet on a game where the guy that is running it or the coaching staff that is running the show, they, they don't care about a win. They just don't. You just said Jacksonville won the second half. There are people in Jacksonville's camp today, I can guarantee it, that are sitting around congratulating themselves. Hey, good, good, good first preseason game, man. Hey, that went well. That was okay. They lost. Doesn't matter. Nobody cares because there are moral victories at this point. You don't look at that Ravens trend and think to yourself, eh, how do you go against it, right, Tom? Eventually they're going to have to lose, but I'm just saying. And, and that line has already moved up. I don't know if you noticed or not. I saw four today. I believe originally when it was out, it was two and a half, three. Yeah. I, it, you know, what I always concentrate on here, Tim, I, and I know the Harbaugh thing and everything else, I like I like the unders, and it, they kind of caught up, right? All the, Look at all the totals, 31, 33, 33, 33 and a half, 34, 33, 34, 35. There's 136. Oh, that's ex- it, because it's finally caught up with them. I love betting the unders, and the unders have trends where, you know, if it is higher than 35, it hits at almost a 65% clip in week one. I I like the unders. I think the offenses are out of sync. So give me a defensive team. I don't care about the depth chart. I don't care about any of that. The hardball thing is quite interesting. I'm not going to ride it, Tim, but it is interesting. Well, let's kind of peek around some of the training camps here and look at the news and notes that have popped up here in the last 48 hours. So this one, this one came out this morning, Tom. I know while you were on the air, I assume it was actually that – in Cleveland, here we go back to Cleveland again, our, our favorite team to, to dogpile on here, that running back Kareem Hunt 
has requested a trade and, and Cleveland Brown management, Tommy has already said, we're not trading you. So Cunt, who had his, we know, had his legal personal issues while in Kansas City, went to Cleveland on a two-year, $12 million deal. That is up after this season. He wants an extension, and I guess they're not getting anywhere with that right now. And apparently at that point he said, well, I don't want to play here. He was in camp today, but he had missed the previous two practices. Another huge exclamation point on the, the, uh, the misery that is the Cleveland Brown franchise. Yeah, and listen, you know, I think that they're shooting themselves in the foot being so adamant about this. I, I agree with Cleveland here. You have a contract. Play out your contract. We're not paying you, okay? You're 27 years old. You don't have a lot of carries under your belt, but we have Johnson backing up Chubb. Chubb is clearly our guy. You have problems off the field. You're kind of a jerk. Let's just be honest. Uh, you've had problems staying healthy. We're not paying you. Play the season. And they did this last year to David Njoku, remember? Njoku said, trade me or get pay me. And they said, we'll do neither. <laughs> right? Yeah. We're going to choose the neither option. And uh, you're going to just play, and that's that. I mean, Tim, that that is just reality of the situation. But they're kind of shooting themselves in the foot, where the market for, you know, uh, what would be what? a backup tight end in David Njoku, what could that possibly yield you? A fifth-round pick, a sixth-round pick, maybe? The market for a 27-year-old Kareem Hunt, who many people think could be a top-10 running back, that market's pretty great. That market could get them a considerable, considerable return if they really want to. First of all, there's going to be some injuries. But outside of the injuries, Tim, just to name a couple of teams that would go out there and just say, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, we're going after them. You think Buffalo's happy with their running back situation? I know Miami has a million backs. You think they're happy? Uh, do, do you fully believe that the Houston Texans are happy with Marlon Mack? Do you believe that, that, that with 100% certainty that Tennessee is perfectly fine not having a pass catcher and no backup? I mean, he could come in there and be the pass catcher. Do you believe that the Chiefs are fully happy with their running back situation? We know the Raiders aren't happy with their running back situation. We know that. Are, what about the New York Giants, who have a Barkley and a contract coming up? What about Philadelphia, Miles Sanders, Gainwell? Go ahead. We could go through the list. Uh, what about you know Detroit Lions? Swift can't stay on the field. I know Williams is pretty good, but he can't stay on the field. Dalvin Cook has a backup. I'm not worried about that, but hey, he's coming up to a contract. You think Atlanta's happy about their situation running back-wise? No, absolutely not. You go down the list, Tim, and you could – pick out team after team after team that would say, yeah, we're going to give you a pick. We'll give you something. What do you think Kareem Hunt's going to get? He's not getting a first rounder. Do you think Kareem Hunt can get a second? I think it's possible, Tim. I think it's possible Kareem Hunt could yield a second rounder. Probably more likely a third, but you're shooting yourself in the foot. If you're not going to use him properly and you're not going to use him this year because you like Johnson, Maybe that's why he's asking out of town, and you're not going to pay him. Why not get some kind of return for him? Could it be because we've seen over the past, it's very prevalent in the last five years, just the injuries that running backs go through that Cleveland's sitting there saying, we like Johnson, but one of them gets hurt, Shelbert Johnson, I, we need to have Hunt there. He's going to play for us, and then we'll worry about it at the end of the year. Yeah, you could do that. You know, it, 
I just always have a problem with it. I had a problem with it, Tim, with Jose Reyes. If you remember, the Mets did this with Jose Reyes at the end of the year. You know, um, the Mets did this with him, and they they said, "Oh yeah, you know, we knew he wasn't coming back, but uh, we thought maybe he might." No, 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 no. He wasn't coming back. They got nothing for him. And I know it's a different sport. It's baseball. I get it. Nick Chubb is their bell cow back. Johnson looks really good. There's a reason why Nick Chubb's speaking up now, Tim, right? And he's a holding because you can't really hold down anymore. There's a reason why Nick Chubb is speaking up now. My inclination and the person that I spoke to from Cleveland feels the same way. There's no definitive proof of this, but feels the same way, Tim, is that something happened. Was he going to be in a more of a three-person timeshare? Were they going to go more with a, a Nick Chubb running game now that Watson's out? Was it maybe he doesn't get along with Deshaun Watson? Maybe that's what it is. Something fueled this pay me or trade me kind of mentality, which came on rather quickly for a guy that this is no surprise. We knew your contract's up after this year. This is no surprise. Why weren't you squawking and screaming about this right before the draft? Why weren't you screaming about this all offseason? Why would it come in now? So I think the timing is a little alarming and again, it's more Cleveland problems, more Cleveland question marks. Let's hop on over to a team you're very familiar with, Tommy. It's, it's, it's your team, basically, in the Chicago Bears. And we knew we knew Matt Eberflus had a direction when hired was like, look, the defense wasn't an issue last year, right, Tom? It was the offense, 26 in the NFL, with a young quarterback now in Josh Fields coming into year two. The offense had to be worked on. And already here in camp, we've seen little little issues. And I don't know how big of them they are to you when you're looking at a long-term uh, plan here. But Jenkins having problems with the coaching staff. And then today, Nikhil Airy with, with a severe ankle injury. I've not seen the timetable on that. But are these things that, that bother you as a fan? Or is it something that, like, look, you expected the Bears to be a certain way this year. You want to see the progress. So these are just bumps in the road. I think that the, the second one, I'm not an optimistic Bears fan overly, but I think, you you know, I've said this for years, Tim. If you're going to go bad, tear it down to the studs, right? I, I say that all the time. I hate teams that try to rebuild and they kind of, you know, they still wind up winning six, seven, eight games and, you know, they're picking 12, 13, 14, 15 for like a half a decade and, you know, they don't really get their next quarterback. They just kind of do fill-in guys. I, I can't stand that. If you're going to be bad, I mean, just tear it down. So do I want Robert Quinn to sign and be in camp? Yeah, I do. Do I want you know Harry to be healthy? Of course I do. Because I think it helps the, the growth and development of what the, the Bears are building. But in the grand scheme of things, does it really matter? No. I like Roquan Smith. Roquan Smith is my favorite Chicago Bear right now. Roquan Smith does not have a contract. I think it's a giant mistake by the Bears to get rid of Khalil, Quinn, and Roquan, and I think they're going to be miserable this year. And long-term, you have to sign Roquan. Outside of that, I'm looking at this team, and I'm going, look, I, and I like Johnson, and I like there, there are guys on this team I like. But outside of that, this Bears team has one identity. Get Justin Fields right. The Chicago Bears in the history, and look, I've interviewed Jim McMahon. He's one of my favorites of all time. Uh, in the history of the Chicago Bears, they have never had a dominant quarterback. They have that opportunity. 
You can't name the last dominant wide receiver. Don't give me Allen Robinson, right? You can't name that. Their dominant tight end history is there. If this team said, we're going to win like one game, we don't care about the defense whatsoever, all we're going to do is develop Justin Fields, Cole Komet, and Daryl Mooney this year, I'm going, okay, I get it. So they're not saying that. They're not coming out and, and, and explicitly throwing that in your face. But that's all I care about, Tim. I mean, I, again, I love Roquan Smith. I hope he signs a long-term deal. He's my favorite bear. But if they feel like, you know, it's not really going to matter. We're going to go buy, we're going to go buy Fields two offensive linemen next year. We could take Roquan's money there. We could take Robert Quinn's money and go buy two defensive players next year that are better. And I mean, it depends on what the direction is. So Harry going down, hey, it stinks for Harry, right? I mean, but overall, does it really affect the Bears? Not really. Roquan not being in there, Robert Quinn not being in there. This team is going to be bad this year unless Justin Fields stands on his head. But even then, they're probably not going to be a playoff team. So who cares? Be miserable. Get the number one pick in the draft. I don't care because what you're doing is you're building around Justin Fields. And Justin Fields right now is everything in Chicago. Tim, did I lose you? Tommy, looks like we lost Tim. I'm going to work on getting him back. No problem. So to expand on that, you know, you look at certain situations. I think you can say the same thing about the New York Jets. There's things that are coming out in camp that Flacco is playing better than them. None of the Jets draft pick, Brees Hall, is exciting. Oh, that's great. You know, it's great that Robert Sal is getting his feet under him. There's all kinds of feel-good stories. But the one thing in New York where they desperately need a quarterback is get Wilson right. When you draft somebody that is this high and this instrumental to the team, you can have feel-good stories around you. You can have nice things going on. You can have good players, but you know who that player is. You know what that player means to that franchise. Justin Fields is just massive to this franchise. Look, look, at, look at the 49ers, who very well may, may have gotten to the Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, every conversation is about Trey Lance. It's all about building up Trey Lance, getting Trey Lance in here, getting Trey Lance to be our guy. He's going to be the guy. That's what they're talking about. Uh, oh, in Pittsburgh, it's going to be get Kenny Pickett up to speed. You know, if you don't win this year and it's the first losing year under Mike Tomlin, you can deal with that if Kenny Pickett's the next guy, the guy that's going to carry the torch for the next 10 years. In Jacksonville, there's a new coaching regime. Travis Etienne is healthy. Oh, they brought in Christian Kirk. There's a lot to like in Jacksonville. None of it works unless you back up Trevor Lawrence. So all of these young franchises uh, that have a young franchise quarterback, all of these teams that are out there, and you hear camp reports, well, this guy's not coming in. This is, if they're not playoff teams, and Jacksonville, the Jets, the Bears, probably not playoff teams anyway. If they're not playoff teams, who cares? If I pick up the Chicago Bears Twitter feed and I'm looking at all of the online sideline reporters and their reports are this this year. Bears look terrible. Bears defense is going to give up 100 points a game. The Bears can't run the ball. The Bears can't can't do anything. The Bears are, are just going to be a bad team. But every report is followed by, ooh, Justin Fields look crisp. Uh, Fields to commit looking great. Fields to Mooney look great. Oh, they're protecting Justin Fields. The offensive line looks great. Oh, Justin Fields looks amazing today. Oh, Justin Fields had a good throw today. 
then I don't care about anything else because I understand where the future of the NFL is. And it's strictly with the quarterback. You just can't win without a dynamic quarterback. And I think they should be feeling the same way about New York and with Wilson. I think you should be feeling the same way about Trevor Lawrence. And eventually, even though it's a different offense, you're going to have to feel the same way about Kenny Pickett because you're not winning a Super Bowl with Mitch Trubinsky this year. So Trubinsky is a Band-Aid, sure, but you're not winning a Super Bowl with him. So do you go out there and you, you know, win under Kenny Pickett? Yeah, you hope he develops and you can win in that situation. Speaking of quarterbacks, you mentioned Daniel Jones, errant passes in training camp, a report out of Washington, new quarterback Carson Wentz looked terrible. Ron Rivera says he's not worried about it. He's a veteran. He'll get it together. Uh, what You know, we throughout the history of Carson Wentz's career in the NFL, Tom, on this show, we've, we've talked about it from his days in Philadelphia, the one-year stop in Indianapolis last season, and now on to Washington. Does that, Do these reports bother you when it's a veteran quarterback that you're seeing having these, these problems in, in camp? Absolutely not, Tim. You know, I, I liken it very much to when I talk about spring training and I say, you know, Clayton Kershaw always has bad spring training. And then you hear from Clayton Kershaw afterwards, after spring training, he said, you know, I'm working on this new knuckle curve. And every time I got two strikes on a guy, I threw the knuckle curve. <laughs> you know, I have no worry uh, about Carson Wentz going through to what his third team in uh, only a couple of years. And if you really count college, his fourth coaching staff in his brief, what, what is it? Fourth coaching staff, what, six years, Tim? Is it about, mm-hmm. right? About, about six years. I have no worry that he didn't pick it up in July. I'm going to worry about it if he doesn't pick it up in late August. You know, if by if by preseason game three, Carson Wentz is still throwing ducks out there and looking terrible, all right, I'll start worrying. I'm not worried about him right now. Am I worried about Daniel Jones? Yes. I'm worried about Daniel Jones because Daniel Jones should not have been drafted in the spot that he was drafted in. Daniel Jones has shown nothing in the NFL to say that he's an NFL quarterback. Every evaluator the day that he was drafted said he should not be drafted. He's not an NFL quarterback. So, yeah, I worry about Daniel Jones. I don't worry about Carson Wentz. Is Carson Wentz going to light the world on fire and win an MVP? No. Is Carson Wentz going to be able to adapt to the Washington offense and be you know, perfectly fine? Yes. Where else in training camp, Tommy, are we looking? Any major things, that, stories that pop out to you as we move into 30? two days away from kickoff. I think one of the interesting stories here, Tim, um, is a story that me and you often chuckle about, and that's the San Diego slash Los Angeles Chargers. Every single year, I say to you, Tim, I would take the Chargers to win it all, but I know what happens in training camp. And every year, even going back to LaDainian Tomlinson, there's always something that goes wrong. Something that happens, something that gets hurt, something, something, something. This year, they are a hyped team, Tim, but they're a quiet team, right? You're not hearing from Derwin James. You're not hearing from Eckler. You're not hearing from Williams and Allen. You're not hearing from anybody right now. It's all quiet on the Chargers front. It was the first time in seemingly forever that it's all quiet on the Chargers front. I think it's a very good thing. Yeah, maybe it's a... I guess when you look at how a team changes personalities, right? And then you talked about coaching staffs. So we, we all know the problems that have existed in the San Diego or LA coaching reigns. So I think as 
Herbert becomes that guy, Tom, maybe that that personality shows through as he progresses in his NFL career, and, and he's he's going to be the mouthpiece there. Maybe that's the direction and tone they're taking. Yeah, it, it could be. Um, yeah, again, it's training camp. Yeah, how much do you how much do you put into what you're seeing? Um, well, let me ask you this, Tim. Right, if a report comes out and you hear the report and you look at a team and you had a feeling about them and you hear a report in July or early August about their training camp is not going well, right? Their training camp isn't going well. Do you change your opinion of that team? Do you change your opinion of the overall team, not the player, the team itself? Most likely no. Right. So you can start getting worried, you know, in late August, but right now, no one's opinion should be changed about anything. You could have player concerns. I have player concerns about Matthew Stafford this year. 34-year-old quarterback that's experiencing arm problems. I have worries about that. I have worries about Daniel Jones. But I had worry about Daniel Jones anyway. I've had worries about just about every team, Tim. And the Chargers are just that team that I always have worry about. This year, weirdly, Tim, I just don't hear any of those worries. Maybe uh, I'm jinxing them here, but I don't hear any of those worries. I don't hear any of that shooter drop. I don't hear any of that uh-oh kind of thing, nonsense and the static that we always hear coming out of the Chargers camp. What about our favorite other team, the Dallas Cowboys, Tom? Always in the news, Jerry Jones, again, all they need, basically saying they need to win in the playoffs this year. You know, it's is this – when you look at the talent that that team has, and then you look at the results in the last, I don't know, you can go back 10 years if you want. We'll start with that time period. It's always led to who's in charge, I think, is the problem. Sean Payton is sitting out there, Tom. Is this a situation where if Dallas somehow stumbles early or if he lasts the whole season and they just they don't get it done, Mike McCarthy is obviously going to be gone. Is, is that what Jerry's looking at, is that nice prize in Sean Payton who he tried to get? years ago from the New Orleans. I think everybody wants Sean Payton. I know the Miami Dolphins courted him. I don't know if Sean Payton wants to come back. You know, and I don't know, this is going to, This is, here, here we go. Here's the clickbait, Tim. I don't know if Sean Payton wants to come back to Dak Prescott. Now, this is nothing to take Dak Prescott and, and say that he's not a good quarterback. He's solid, okay? But if you're da- if you are a guy that basically could call his shot, right? You could have called your shot with Trevor Lawrence, you could have called your shot with Justin Fields. You could have called your shot with a lot of these young, really control. You probably could have called your shot a couple of years ago with, with the Chargers if you thought about Herbert. These young, controllable quarterbacks, you could call your shot with. A lot of people turned around and they said, yeah, you know, Sean Payton this and Sean. Sean Payton and Dallas will be a thing. Of course it will, especially if they stumble out of the box early, especially Jerry Jones coming out and saying he wants to give the ball to Ezekiel Elliott, especially with that. There are a lot of NFL guys that look at Dak Prescott and they go, he's a good quarterback, but he's not great. He's got one playoff win, right? I mean, one, one playoff win, Tim. He's a good quarterback. He's not great. Does Sean Payton want to come back to a team that just lost their number two wide receiver at Amari Cooper, their number three wide receiver in Gallup? Does he want to come back to a team with an aging running back that is overpaid? Does he want to come back to a team like the Dallas Cowboys? Because he turned down Miami. And I think Miami was a pretty good landing spot. 
Does he want to come back for Dallas? Dallas wants him. I have no doubt about that. Does he want to come to Dallas? I have big doubts. How about this instant request? Our buddy Chris Wynn wants to know your thoughts, Tom, on the state of the Dolphins. New coach. How is, is Tua going to be this season? Your thoughts on that? How about Tyreek Hill's addition to the offense? And they play in a, in a monster division. And when I mean monster, I'm talking about, of course, Josh Allen and the Bills. And, and uh, you know, I like I like the Patriots a lot this year as well. So where do the Dolphins rank right now for you? Just outside the playoffs. To me, they are an eight or a nine win team in the hunt, but probably just missing the playoffs. And a lot of it really has to do with their schedule is just a, a nightmare. <laughs> it really is a nightmare. Um, I think that the Dolphins will be better. I think that Tua is still a guy that could be a quality quarterback here. Tyreek Hill, yeah, he's a good player. I like the Waddle and Hill duo. I like him a lot. I like their defense. I think their head coach is he's, he's fine. I don't think he's great. I think he's fine. But, Tim, that schedule is just brutal. Let me go through it for you here. Opening up against New England, there's no sure thing there. Okay? So, I'll give him a win, but let's be honest, that's going to be tough. Then at Baltimore, then Buffalo, then at Cincinnati. They very well could be 0-4, but I think they're 1-3. Going to the Jets, that's never easy in division. Then you have Minnesota and Pittsburgh. There's a, a likely scenario that they have one win going into Week 8. I'm going to give them two, maybe three. Then you get into at Detroit, at Chicago. Then you're on the road. I know Detroit and Chicago are not supposed to be very good. You're on the road. The line for that Chicago game is, is basically a pick right now. So I'll give them one win there. Cleveland at home week 10. A lot depends on Deshaun Watson in that spot. Come back against Houston. I'll give them a win there. So I'm looking at what? You know, five wins or so. At San Francisco at the Chargers, at Buffalo, Green Bay, at New England. Are you kidding me? Can you? Is there a win there, Tim? At San Francisco, at the Chargers, at Buffalo, home against Green Bay on Christmas Day, at New England on New Year's Day. I don't see a win there. No. And you have to get that home. So they have two chunks of their schedule that are just brutal. I'm looking at them and I'm going, if you get out of the gate, bad i mean miami could have like a three-win season if they could somehow or another knock off new england in week one let's say the jets in week five minnesota or pittsburgh that's three wins detroit or chicago that's four cleveland's five houston six the jets last week are seven and let's say you find you you somehow find a win in the san francisco chargers buffalo green bay new england kind of pace there that five game that's still only eight wins so I'm looking at Miami and going, I think they're going to be better. I think two is going to be better. I think Waddle and Hill work. I think the offense works. I think that uh, their their new coaching staff can be perfectly fine. Tim, I, I'm on board with everything being okay in Miami and them just getting beat up by this ridiculously brutal schedule. They're going to go on the road against Baltimore, Cincinnati, the Chargers, San Francisco. <laughs> I mean, wow. And then, obviously, you know, they have Buffalo and New England on that. It wouldn't shock me if the Jets only won one road game this year. I'm sorry, Miami. Sorry, Miami only won one road game this year. 
when I look at the preseason, when, when I'm in the preseason, I look at scheduling to try to base on predictions, right, Tom? I look at the schedule in quadrants because obviously it was a 16-week season before. I know there's the extra two weeks now, but still, well, if the thing about the first four, unless there's a serious injury in camp, the rest is, is depends on how, A, injuries, how teams playing, all that stuff factors into the last 12 games for, the, for that team. But the first four you mentioned, New England with Belichick having the majority of the offseason to look at game one, right? So he's prepared. At Baltimore, who I know it's, it's already been talked about in the media that Harbaugh was truly upset about that Thursday night game in Miami last year where Baltimore looked disgustingly bad with Huntley at quarterback. That game is circled in the locker room in Baltimore. Bills, that's everybody's favorite to win the Super Bowl. You know that they're looking at not having a letdown. And then Cincinnati, which is a juggernaut offensively, you're right. One win, hell, could be zero wins. And what do you do at that point in the season? I know it's hard to say, well, it's only you've still got 12 games to play. A lot happens in that four-game stretch, Tom, and you definitely don't want to start out. One and three is bad enough, but a zero and four, in my book, they're not. They're, they're out. They're not making the playoffs at that point. Tim, you start 0-4? And you then go on the road against the Jets after a Thursday night game against Cincinnati. I mean, just the way it even sets up. Even you got to travel to Cincinnati on a Thursday night game. I, I mean, I, 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 I'm looking. I, I don't even look at that Jet game as a layup, just because you could be carrying your carcass in at 0 and 4. You know, I'm not even giving them that that Jet game as a layup game. Tim Unglesby, Tom Barton, Heat Wave Sports Super Sunday Night. Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. We're going to take timeout number one, come back. We'll stay with the football as we begin our look around the college football landscape. I can't believe you asked that. I really can't believe it. Let me see here. Kentucky Wildcats, number four in the country. I'm hearing four first-round draft choices. And you're asking me how that got away from me? They're, they're, they're the big blue. You ought to know that. I'm not mad at you. Now back to Heat Wave Sports. Here's Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. The big blue Kentucky. Not Kentucky football, Kentucky basketball, but hey, college football is 19 days away. Tom, we touched on it last night. Reno opens the season in New Mexico, a 10.5-point favorite on the road. Tom, you still like the dog in that game. Yeah, I'll I'll take the 10.5 all day long. Well, we're starting our college football previews on the 20th, so in uh, we're off next weekend, back the 20th. We'll start the college football previews, and then we'll start the NFL previews on the 21st and get you ready for the football season. But – what I wanted to kind of do with, with the college, Tom, was just to scratch the itch a little bit here and look at not, not necessarily in-depth, right, but kind of just at a glance, take a look at, I think we can say what are we perceive as the top five or ten teams in college football this year and, and just get, like, uh, initial thoughts on the season that's fastly approaching. We, we say the 32-day countdown, well, 19 for college football and – that's a pretty big weekend, Friday, Saturday, and then really kicks into gear the following week. So 
let's start with everybody's favorite team to not to talk about whether you hate them or you love them. Alabama, Tommy, they lose in the title game last year. Everybody always says when they lose, mark it down. They're winning the national title the following year. Your thoughts on the Crimson Tide moving into this season? Well, look, I, I mean, Alabama's always going to be that team, right? I mean, they're always going to have that 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 look, that Crimson Tide. Uh, you know, they have to be put in the top one or two. I mean, that, that's just what they are, right? Um, but there, there are some there's some concerns because Georgia's not going away. Right. I mean, they're just not. And that for me is one of the biggest things is that Alabama has been able to kind of keep this up. Right. I mean, they've been able to keep everything up for so long and they just kind of replace guys and we get complacent every year. They can win the national championship every single year. It might happen every single year. That's what it's going to be. Um, They have 19 players on the preseason All-SEC team. Heisman-winning quarterback Bryce Young is back. Second most passing yards in college football. Uh, this is a team, every year we can say they're back back and they're stacked. And Tim, this team is absolutely stacked. They really, really are. They, are, they have a schedule that you really have to kind of like. They have the leadership that you absolutely have to like. They have everything in place. I mean, you know, you talk about the the tide and with, with for every single year you go, okay, they could replace him. They could replace it. They're not really replacing anybody that is an unre, irre, you know, unreplaceable type of guy. I think their defense takes a little bit of a step back. But again, if you take a step back from top five, they're still going to be right there. They don't have the explosive wide receivers. Okay. That's going to be kind of a, a, a little bit of an issue. But when you have... A coach, quarterback, you know, young. The only thing I'm worried about is complacency. I just don't think that this team is a complacent team. Year after year, I try to find reasons why Alabama might not get back there, why they may falter. I can't find one this year, Tim. They look absolutely just like a powerhouse. This is a team that you're going to be looking at. They have revenge on their mind in some important schedule. They have some interesting games where you're looking at and you're going, oh, that could be a trap. Oh, no, 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 no. They have the advantage there. Some of these guys got hurt. I, I I think Alabama should be the favorite, and I don't often say that. Will Anderson, to monster on the defensive side of the ball. I was looking at a – I was reading an article, and the guy basically broke down the top 25 teams that preseason, and then he had a percentage of – odds to make the college football playoff. And and as we know, last year, Georgia, Alabama, Michigan, and Cincinnati made, made that cut to play in that final four. So already he has Alabama, Tom, a 92% chance to make the playoff. <laughs> yeah, that's about right. I, I mean, again, the rules are not fair for Alabama either, right? We know that Alabama has to lose two games. And they still might try to force them in with two games. Yeah. I, uh, so the second team is the team that beat them in the, in the final, Georgia, win the national title for Kirby Smart. At fifth, Tom, they had 15 players drafted in, in the NFL draft. Crazy, crazy amount. But they could still come back uh, absolutely loaded as well. Bennett back at quarterback. Your thoughts on the Bulldogs? He's been there for like, for like six years. It seems like it, yeah. He's a, <laughs> he's, he's a graduate student now, right, Tom? Right. So are we looking at 
a rematch here in the final. The, this guy, odds to make the college football playoff for Georgia, 86%. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with that. Look, last year we watched that Georgia is able to navigate and get past injuries. Remember, both of their cornerbacks went down. They were able to kind of replace them. But they're losing a ton. You just mentioned a ton of production. And they're losing production in the defensive middle. They're losing three inside linebackers where that was the kind of the core of their team. Now, look, they're going to still be able to get after the passer. But I think the SEC as a whole actually got better this year, Tim. I think Alabama got better this year. And Georgia took a step back. It wasn't like they were worlds better than everybody else last year. They weren't dominating, you know, Alabama time in and time again. I think that Georgia might struggle a little bit this season. And when I say struggle, they might lose two or three games. If they lose two or three games, they're, they don't go by the same rules as Alabama. How about two teams out of the, the Big Ten? Start with the one that did make or did not make the playoffs last year, Tommy, in Ohio State. They finished 11-2, and 8-1 and in the Big Ten. Michigan got them in that last game. So C.J. Stroud back, Heisman finalist. We'll see, I assume. Travion Henderson back running the ball. It was, but the defense really cost Ohio State in losses to Oregon and Michigan. When you look at the Buckeyes, Tom, the prognosticators, 75% chance they make the playoffs. So this guy loves Ohio State to win the Big Ten. Oh, well, let me tell you something. Ohio State has the most dangerous offense in college football, and I don't think it's close. Tim, the defense might have some problems, but Ohio State legitimately might set records this year. I can't see anybody stopping this offense. Every single thing that they want to do on the football field, they're going to be able to do offensively. Their offense is dynamic. I do worry slightly about that defense. But I don't think that there's enough in the Big Ten to stop them. This is a team that I, I honestly, truly believe that they're going to average 40 or more points every game. They, they, they are just going to steamroll people with this offense in your face. I do find it kind of an interesting situation with Ohio State where normally they're able to kind of bring in good defensive players and you, you have somebody to talk about. Nobody even cares. Nobody even cares this year because it's going to be high-flying fling it all over the field and just outscore us because we're going out there. We're putting up a 50 or a 60. Can you get there, Michigan? Can you get there, Penn State? Can you get there, Iowa? Certainly not. Can you get there? And the Big Ten, you can't stop them because they are that high flying. What about the Wolverines? They made the Final Four last year. Kind of seemed like a relief for John Harbaugh. to, to Not that they, they didn't win the title, right, Tom? But it was almost a relief that he got to the brink of it when you look at Michigan is this you just mentioned how much you love Ohio State so would this be the step back they achieved what they got to but now there's there's going to be the regression they lost some players okay um but I think they that they're bringing a lot back Tim mm-hmm. I, I really do I, I look at this team and I go they have a dynamic offensive line don't count that out they have a dynamic offensive line they're going to be able to bully ball people all day. Their special teams are really good, too. Again, another point that people just overlook, hearkening back to Ron Natty, who you just mentioned, always talked about special teams. Their kicking game is fantastic. Pinning guys deep, getting those extra uh, you know, yards, making sure that if you get inside of it, you're putting three on the board. I think that when you have an offensive line the way that they do, 
they absolutely will be undefeated when they sit back and they go to Columbus. Now, can their offense keep up? No. No, I don't think they can keep up with Ohio State. But I don't see the falloff that a lot of people are predicting for Michigan. A lot of people are predicting a big Michigan falloff. Not with that offensive line. I don't care if I'm back there. If I have all day, and they will have all day to throw, I think the offensive line is the difference maker. About a team that, <clears throat> after Trevor, La- Trevor Lawrence and Dabo Sweeney, just the, the unbelievable combo there leading Clemson to national titles. Well, Trevor graduates, goes to the NFL. Ugalele, not not an impressive season last year, Tom. Nine touchdowns, ten picks. Something we're not used to seeing Clemson do is lose football games. They lost three of them last year, including two in conference. Is there a bounce back for the Tigers this year? A lot, a lot. Not just this one that I keep quoting from, but a lot of preseason rankings have them in the top five. Yeah, look, I, I mean, DJ was so highly rated. People were falling all over him. And he just didn't look good last year. And this is a team that, look, they didn't, they lost a lot on defense, obviously. You go from Trevor Lawrence, who at a point, okay, was considered the, the best prospect since Andrew Luck. So you go from Deshaun Watson to Trevor Lawrence, ETN, and all of that. And, and you go, okay, well, what happened? Dead last in the ACC in passing efficiency last year, Tim. 100th in total offense. They just couldn't move the ball. And DJ, look, you look at him and you go, he's got the pedigree. Everybody expected something. He just flat fell on his butt, right? I mean, fell on his face, if you want to say that. He just flat out stunk last year. And you can say, well, you know what? He didn't have help. He didn't have He didn't have a lot of things. I think he's going to be better. I think that when you recruit somebody into a program like that, Sometimes it takes an adjustment period. These guys are still, you know, 18, 19 years old, Tim, right? It takes a minute to adjust. And maybe that minute costs a season for DJ. I don't expect him to be the best quarterback in, in college football this year, but he doesn't have to with Clemson. I think Clemson's right back into the top 10. But this, we always talk about the independence. And with all these changes happening in the next few years, Tom, with as we've talked about, the, the super conferences becoming uh, – almost to a point where they're going to seed away from the smaller schools. Notre Dame always pops up on, on the, uh, the radar as who's going to grab Notre Dame. So when you look at a team that was 11 and two last year, a new head coach, skill position players coming back, they are ranked in the top five in some places, top 10 in most. And you talk about starting out a house of fire in week one, their first game at Ohio State. Yeah, but, but can you lose that first game, Tim? Yeah, of course. Well, if you're, yeah, Notre Dame and, and Alabama and Georgia, absolutely. Right. So, so uh, okay, give give me the next – if they lose that game, right, give me the next tough game on the schedule. I don't know if you have the schedule in front of you. I can in a second here if you give me an opportunity to pull that up. I, I think when you look at – Notre Dame, Tom, and you know this as well as I do. Look, our good friend, Mr. Cotter, <laughs> big-time Notre Dame guy, but they always seem to have the benefit of um, the pollsters, right? You, you think that way, and nowadays it's more so the coaching. But uh, looking at their schedule, I, I don't – you know, they play Clemson in, in, in November. So that, that – well, Normally – 
and this is why I brought it up. Normally, Notre Dame's schedule is brutal. It's absolutely brutal. This year, you can lose to Ohio State. And uh, look, Notre Dame fans are always going to be crazy. I, they're going to go, oh, we got the next guy, and Conan's the next guy, and and oh, the, the, the new coach, oh, he's better than Kelly. And Notre Dame fans are always going to be crazy. Uh, but there are certain things that you look at with Notre Dame, and they stack a ridiculous schedule where if they lose week one to Ohio State, but they beat Clemson in November, they're going to be in the conversation. And I think that their defense is actually going to be better than they were last year. Now, the offense, you hope take that step up. You hope that the quarterback gets fixed and adjusted there. I don't see Notre Dame battling for a national championship, but I certainly look at Notre Dame and I go, yeah, you know, I'll I'll take a look at Notre Dame and say, could they be inside the top 10? Hour one in the books, hour two coming at you. We'll do a little more college football, get some Tom's thoughts on some of the West Coast programs as we begin our college football previews here on Heat Wave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas. Guten Tag. Now back to Heat Wave Sports. Fun hour number one, all football, NFL, college conference team previews start next in two Saturdays on the 20th with college and on the 21st NFL and then we're just straight ahead to opening week in college football the 26th 27th and then the NFL slate right after that and we're going to be live on the Las Vegas Strip Saturday night September the 10th Tom at 10 o'clock Cabo Wabo is going to host us as it's heat wave sports back out on the uh, back out on remotes. I mean, this is what we've been waiting two and a half years for. Tim, I got to tell you, I, I, I want to make a public address here. Um, come down and see us, please. I had uh, one of our loyal listeners uh, that I absolutely love going back and forth with him and, and, you know, write me. And he said, hey, when you're in town, I said, hey, come on down, you know, come and see us. He said, ah, I don't want to distract you during the show. And I've heard this is not to call him out because I've heard people say this before. Um, you know, oh, I wanted to come down, but, you know, I didn't want to. No, that's the point. We want you to distract us during the show, right? We want to have fans <laughs> there. We want to have people there. It's always fun when we have an environment down there. Um, so that's why we do the live remotes, to meet people. I remember when we had Fernando down there. We had a great time with Fernando. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, if you're listening in and you're one of our loyal fans, uh, even if you're not, if you're a casual fan, we want you to come down. We want you to hang out, have a couple of beers with us, have a couple of, you know, Cabo Wabo, have a couple of sandwiches, whatever it might be. Hang out, watch the show, and then we'll, we'll, we'll you know, BS about sports afterwards. That's what it's supposed to be about. So don't think that you're inconveniencing us in any way. We want fans to come on down. We want it to be a nice little crowd, and we will usually, we do have a nice little crowd for us. 100%, Tom. It's, look, it's, it's, uh, it's always a fun time. Our Super Bowl shows have been absolutely great. Just in my mind, and I know uh, Chris Wynn's listening, he can definitely remember this. Tom, in our time, we've had, for Super Bowl shows, two of them in the rain. We had one where a brawl almost broke out because some guy was being just a complete jackass. Uh, we've had strippers show up. I mean, you know, it's it's always a good time with us, and I'm just excited to get back out there. It's been too long, and, um, I mean, look, you and I, Literally, when I see you in a couple of weeks, it's going to be almost three years, which it blows my mind. But that's kind of just the way the world is nowadays. 
<laughs> and I'm and I'm getting a text right now. So what are the date and times, Tim? Everyone's asking. <laughs> what that that's what they're asking. What are the date? I, I really just got a, a text just now uh, from one of our listeners. Saturday night, September the tenth. Show goes on air at ten o'clock. Tommy and I will be out there. We think Tom eight eight thirty something like that. Just hanging out. Yeah, at least an hour and a half before. T- yeah, eight thirty so, is, is safe. I, I'd say the window is between eight. Get there around eight. And we'll hang out as long as anybody else is hanging out. So we have nothing better to do that night. Well, we might head on down to the Palomino, Tommy, though. So <laughs> yeah, I was like, what, what are you talking? I don't know about <laughs> you. I'm bringing all our fans to the Palomino. Yeah, we'll move the party. Yes, yes. By the way, you would think, and, I, and I'm not calling them out because you know I love them, but you would think after like 11 years of giving the Palomino free advertising on the air, they, 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 they do something for me. <laughs> give, give me a T-shirt or something. Jeez. Free Tommy, advertising, constant. Look no further, my friend. I got the hookup, so we're good. <laughs> we're good. Well, I listen. I used to, I used to talk about nothing but your place. You know, uh, there are just uh, the the drinking rules, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I completely get it. So what I like to do is I like to to start at the world famous uh, the, the Tim's place, which is just fantastic. And then you go hit the Palomino, and then you end back at your place, Tim, because you got got to calm the party down a little bit. Yeah, we'll give out the free pub. We'll start at Little Darlings, no alcohol. Then move over to Palomino. Little Darlings is great for for like the afternoon, like you know, like the six seven o'clock. Little Darlings was always good for that time. It's the pregame, Tom. The pregame. Yes, yes. (laughs) So okay, after Little Darlings, where are we going then? Then we'll go to the Palomino. And then wind up uh, with you at the end. Uh, who knows? Who knows what? <laughs> well, you're here. You're going to be here four days, so we got plenty of time to, to figure uh, multiple stops. You know. Yes, I love it. <laughs> so, Tim, listen. Speak, speaking of questions, can I can I address the question that I just got about uh, the college football? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, our buddy Chris Wynn said you know, it, it was a bold statement for for me to say. Ohio State was going to be better offensively and the, the best team and all of that. It averaged 47, 45.7 points per game last year. That was the most in college football. The most among 130 teams. The highest scoring offense in the country. I think they're going to be better this year. And I, I think Chris Wynn was kind of saying, how can they, you know, how, how can you think that they're going to be better? Well, here's why. CJ Stroud is back. Jackson Smith is back. Ronnie Hickman is back. That's their starting quarterback, starting running back, starting receiver. The, the guys that led the team in passing, rushing, and receiving. All three of them were freshmen and sophomores a year ago. They're, they're just better because they've been on the field more. They're just better because they have consistency. And here's the thing. During a conference, a press conference, over the offseason, uh, the Buckeyes basically said, you know, we, we – want to fix our inconsistencies. We want to get it down the field more. And they pointed to their red zone touchdown percentages, which ranked 45th in the country. So think about it. They had the number one offense in the country, Tim. And you go, well, you know, how can they improve? Not only are there three star players, their three big position players, all getting a year experience, but they had an area to improve. And that is when they get inside the twenty. They just punched it in at only the 45th percentage. Let's say they move in up even a little bit, which you have to expect the number one offense to be able to punch it in a little bit more. 
and they go from 64.4 to like 67 or 68. That only puts them inside the top 30, Tim, right? Mm-hmm. That all of a sudden is a better offense. I, that's why I think Ohio State's offense is just going to be unstoppable this year. We'll give our final four predictions and national champion here in a couple of weeks, but you already know uh, where I'm looking at Ohio State, and I, I'm 100% with you. They're going to score, and that's that's the catch me if you can, and if you can beat us at that game, then you deserve to win. And, and you know, you start to think about the teams in the, the Big Ten to stop them. Michigan just doesn't have the guns. Penn State doesn't have the guns. Iowa we were just talking about Iowa. You know, Iowa's a team that you look at and you go, hey, they're going to be a good team. They're going to field a good team. They don't have the guns to outscore. To beat Ohio State, you are not going to shut them down. They're scoring 30 in a bad game. They're scoring 30. They may score 35 in a bad game. Can you outscore them? If they were in the, the, the SEC, maybe. But they're in the Big Ten. Big Ten's defensive teams. Big Ten's running teams. Big Ten's keep the ball away. Ohio State's going to be able to score, and they're going to be able to score at will. I just can't see anybody stopping them. Let's look at a couple more schools. How about Texas A&M out of the SEC? Last year, they beat Alabama, Tom, but then also lost to Ole Miss. You know, so really an up-and-down season for Jimbo Fisher, who, again, had another ranked great recruiting class. And they are ranked in the top five in a couple places. Tom, your thoughts on the Aggies? Everybody loves Jimbo all the time. Everybody wants Jimbo to be the guy to kind of knock off Saban. Everybody wants Jimbo to be that dude. I'm very, very close with Jimbo's career. Obviously, being you know my wife's being a Florida State alumni, following him really well. You look at Jimbo, and everybody wants him to take that big step up. Oh, and he went out and he beat Alabama. But it's not just beating Alabama. First of all, now there's revenge on, on their minds, but it's not just beating Alabama. It's everything else, right? I mean, it, it really is. You look at it and you go, ah, I, I look at what their schedule is and I look at who they have to face and I look at you know, what they are. Look, Vegas odds has the over-under set at eight and a half times, Tim. Yeah, so let's just be honest here. They're, they're, they don't have them set at <laughs> you know the, the 10 or 11 that everybody else is. It's not just me that's down on them. So I look at this and I go, uh, you know, I think that they will be a solid team, but I don't think that they're a national championship team. Once again, I think that they're going to be closer to eight wins than they are to 11 wins. About Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley gone. He's now the coach at USC. Took some took a couple players with him, took some recruits with him, Tommy. There's no Caleb Williams. There's no Spencer Rattler coming back. Brent Venables, the new head coach. His quarterback will be Gabriel, who we all know from Central Florida. But still a lot of talent there. I see a team that is picked in the top 10 in most publications. Well, here's the thing, Tim. You know, you can't tell me that, you know, their head coach was the greatest thing walking on water, and then he leaves and you go, oh, they're still going to be fine. can't tell me that their quarterback was a Heisman Trophy candidate and then he leaves and you go, oh, he's going to be fine, right? I mean, you can't sit there and have it both ways if you're going to go with Oklahoma. Now, I don't believe that Lincoln Riley was a guy that could walk on water. I thought he was a very good coach. Um, I didn't believe that their offense was just, oh, oh, okay, wait a minute. It's just unbelievable. Oh, it's unstoppable. I, I never believed all the hype about Oklahoma. 
So for me, their fall off won't be as drastic, but they will have a fall off. Um, luckily, they play in a you know a division where you can have some stumbles and they might be okay. But they started to worry me even last year. I mean, look look at what they did against Kansas, for example, last year. I look at Oklahoma and I. I to me, there's absolutely no threat for a national championship. They're probably a top 10 team. But, Tim, I'm not even as sold on them as a top 10 team as I am on a Notre Dame, for example. So, to me, they are they're in the top 10, but they're just on the, the edge. If you want to convince me that they're not a top 10, 10 team, I'm listening. Stay in the Big 12. Two years ago, Baylor won two games. The very next season, a Big 12 championship. They win the Sugar Bowl. They win 12 games. They finish in the top five in collegiate football. A defense that surrendered less than 20 points per game, Tom. How about the Baylor Bears? Baylor, I don't buy in, into either. Um, again, I think it's just a matter of the culture there. Baylor is very happy with being a solid team, right? I, I I know that the, the, Bear, the Baylor Bears reminds me, they remind me a lot of Jimbo Fisher and what he has going on in Texas A&M. They'll have one exciting win. Everybody will be pumped up. Oh, here we go. Uh, you know, you turn around and you go, oh, okay, look, they're, they're going to have a lot. They're going to have this. They're going to have that. And then, oh, wait, wait a minute, you know, their top passer left. Uh, okay, wait a minute. Uh, you know, their, their leading rusher is – Kind of not going to be there. Their defense has some problems. Uh, I, yeah, they'll make a splash. They'll try for a title, but there, there's no way they're going to be in the national championship. It's They're not Oklahoma. I don't think they're Texas. It may not be Oklahoma State, but even if they are better than all of them, than all of them, they're not in the national title picture, Tim. It's set... Again, I'm going by the Vegas totals. This isn't just me hating on them. It said it's seven and a half. It said it's seven and a half. I think that they beat that number. I sort of like them to beat that number. I sort of like them as, you want to call them a sleeper, sure. But we can't be seriously talking about them in a finals conversation, although maybe a top 10. How about some teams out west? If the bottom fell out completely for USC last year, Tom, it was four the four-win season, three and six in the Pac-12. We know. We just talked about him. Lincoln Riley goes out west. He's now the guy there. He's bringing in uh, blue-chip transfers, five-star quarterbacks. And just on that walk-on-water mentality that you brought up, they are ranked in most top 25 polls in a lot of the magazines. They're in, they should be in the top 25, Tim. And they should be taken serious. I know that the win total is set at 10. I think that's a little high for them. I think Oregon, it might be a better team. I think Utah is still a better team. So to me, they're the third best team in the Pac-12. Uh, you know, I mean, that, that's <laughs> that, that's what they would be, right? I mean, that that's what they would be. Uh, you, you do look at their schedule and you go, it's an interesting schedule. And, and I can't turn around and tell you that I find too many just games where I'm going, uh-oh, this is going to be a problem. There are some pitfalls, and I think that Lincoln Riley set himself up with massive talent, but they're still in a rebuild. I mean, let, let's not overlook the fact. Lincoln Riley's not walking in here winning a national championship next year. It's just not happening. 
So you have the you you start off you have Rice, Stanford, Fresno State, who I think could be improved this year. But Rice, Stanford, Fresno State, Oregon State, Arizona State, Washington State. They're not losing a game until they go to Utah, October fifteenth. I think that's a tough one. But there's no Washington on the schedule, who sometimes could give them problems. There's no Oregon on the schedule who could give them problems. Arizona won't be a problem on the road. They finish off against Cal, Colorado at home. UCLA on the road shouldn't be a problem. And then Notre Dame, November 26th, that's their last game. That one's at home. I see two pitfalls the entire season for this team, Utah and Notre Dame. So I don't know what we're talking about with USC. Are we saying, are they a top 25 team? Yeah, yes, they are. But they are not because of Lincoln Riley. They are because of this joke of a schedule. Are, are, and, and the fact that the Pac-12 is down. Are they a top 10 team? Yeah, Tim, I think that they can be. Because I think a two-loss USC may be like a 15. I, I don't expect them to lose both games to Utah and Notre Dame. So, to me, they're a top 15 team. Maybe a top 10 team. But are you expecting them to go undefeated? No. I think they lose to Utah or Notre Dame, and they very well could lose to both of them. And then if you get into get them into a playoff, which I don't think that they do, but you get them into even to a back championship game, I don't think they win that game either. USC is a good team, but let's just understand they are still rebuilding. There's still a rebuild to be done there. And when you look at the schedule, Tim, I can't take them for anything serious here. About the Utes, you said it. Best team in the Pac-12, 10 wins last year. Everybody talks about Cameron Rising, the quarterback, but but Tavion Thomas is the guy, Tom, in the backfield. He is an absolute beast. 20 times he found the end zone last year. And, you know, if you look at the Pac-12 in the landscape of the college football playoff, whether it was Oregon, whether it was USC, Washington, seems like Utah is the team now. Everything that I see, let's just say I've read 20 different predictions or, or previews of, of college football this this offseason. When you come down to the four teams and make the playoffs, I can say out of the 20, Tommy, maybe two or three have a Pac-12 school in the final four. It's just the same, same thing every year with the Pac-12. Tim, I will tell you this. I will have a futures bet on the Utah Utes to win the championship this year. Hmm. And it's not because I think that they will win the championship. It's because I will be able to hedge my bet if they get there. And I think that they have a real good shot at getting there. You mentioned the quarterback. You mentioned the running back. I'm going to go the boring route here, but it is the route that I love to go, and that is their offensive line is absolutely stacked. Three starters are back. The two guys that are filling in are supposed to be very uh, you know, agile and should fill in pretty well. The left side has two of the, I would say, top 15 Left side guys in in the entire country, in Daniels and uh, Satoa, they are fantastic. They finished fourth in pass protection, ran for 200 yards a game, Tim. They are big, they are strong, and they have a good defense. Now, their schedule is the only reason I don't think that this is going to be a cakewalk. I do like their odds, and I get it. They start off the year at Florida. That could be a hiccup game right away. Southern Utah, San Diego State. Hey, San Diego State's not going to roll over, but they should beat them. At Arizona State, Oregon State at home, at UCLA. Then you get USC October 15th. You get them at home. I think they win that game. At Washington State, Arizona, Stanford at home. At Oregon is their other one. So while USC has two hiccup games, they have three. 
at Florida, the USC at home, and at Oregon. I still look at Utah and I say, if you beat Florida in week one, you can very well lose to USC or Oregon and still get into the college football playoff. If you don't beat Florida, I think you got to kind of beat USC and Oregon to be a legitimate shot. But I like the futures play here. I think Utah is going to bully teams. Their offensive line is just fantastic. You know, how I like to bet on the offensive lines. I, to me, Utah is that silent assassin that no one's talking about. But once you say it and you show them the schedule and you show them what they've done over the last couple of years and you show them the returning roster, they go, oh, yeah. Oh, that, that makes a lot of sense. How about this, Tom? And this is from the Circa Sportsbook, place that we're going to go see while you're in town. USC to win the NCAA football championship plus 25 to 1 to win it. Utah to win the NCAA football championship 47 to 1 right now. Yeah, I got it at 50 to 1, Tim. Yeah. I got it 50 to 1. If they make the, the college football playoff, I, I'm golden. I'm golden. But what do you think? Look. If they go out, they were 50, or you said 47 to 1. I got them at 50 to 1, okay? If they beat Florida on September 3rd, Tim, where do you think those odds go? Yeah. Cut in half, right? 25 to 1? Yeah. Right. So, I mean, just from an odds perspective, if they go out there and they beat Florida in Florida on September 3rd, they're 25 to 1. They're cut in half that day. Boom. You go out there and you beat USC at home October 15th, and you're undefeated. That, that all of a sudden you're 10 to one, maybe like eight to one. So you can even lose to Oregon and you're still going to be 15 to one or so. You're never going to get better odds. These are enormous, enormous odds for Utah. I like them. I like them a lot. I like them again, not to win the championship, but I like the hedging opportunity that I could have with a 50 to one underdog. Is it possible? <clears throat> Is it possible Utah loses that game against Florida and still makes the playoff. Yes, absolutely. If they lose at Florida in week one, it will not ding them at all because it's on the road. It's a USC team. I mean, it's a SEC team. They have to beat USC. They have to go on the road late in the year and beat Oregon. And they have to hope that Oregon has a pretty good season and USC has a good season. But I think they will. So they can't be a two-loss team and make the college football playoff. But you could be a one-loss team without a, without a question. And if that loss comes in week one, yeah, there, there's not a question at all. So the second part of that question, can we get the loss at 50-1? to one? They lose that game. Is there going to be a better value? Be no, there won't be much movement. Okay. They won't go much further because they're, I, I don't think that people expect them to win that game. You know, that's the problem. So if you're you're already baking in, you know, whether that is a very close odds game or whatnot, you're already baking in kind of a loss there. You're you're not expecting them to win that game. At least, you know, uh, the insiders and lines makers aren't expecting them to win that game. So, it, you know, it's 47 to 1. I don't know. It's, it maybe goes to 55 to 1. Or, you know, it's a small knock, but it's not going to be anything worth substantial at all. It's not something... That will skew skew the the line to our favor. This is the time to buy because you're betting on Utah, so you want them to win that game. If they happen to lose it, it's just it, yeah, it won't be a big enough buying opportunity 
in the same vein as, okay, well, uh, you know, if Oregon loses to Georgia, for example, uh, no one's going to move that line either. Well, they're expected to lose that game. Well, here we go, Tom. Give you the first. By the way, that 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 opening line is two. Utah's yeah. favored by two. Two. Two on the road. Up, I'm sorry? Two on the road, yeah. Right. And it opened up at Utah plus one. So the line is flipped. The, you know, I hate the word sharps and squares, but the, the smart guys were on Utah very early. College football previews the 20th. NFL previews the 21st. We're excited. We're getting ready for you. We gave you a little taste tonight. So when we come back in two weeks' time, we're full steam ahead towards the football season, and we're going to take our last time out. When we come back, we'll head on back over to the Diamond and talk some Major League Baseball as we are a week, almost a week, since the trade deadline. We'll start things off in San Diego on the way back. It's Heatwave Sports here on Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. And Horton wasting no time. He's going to the Duke. The Duke leads the league in saves, strikeouts per inning, and hit batsman. This guy threw at his own kid in a father-son game. Now back to Heat Wave Sports. Here's Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. Going to finish things off here on a Super Sunday night with some Major League Baseball. Remember, we are off next weekend back on the 20th, Saturday night, the 20th. So if you're looking for us next week, we will not be found. Give us another week. We're back at on August the 20th, and we broke down the Juan Soto trade extensively last night in hour number one on Heatwave Sports. Since that trade, they ended up winning, I want to say they they won the first two games after the trade. Since then, Tom, four-game losing streak, including getting swept by the Dodgers this weekend. And they were destroyed, by the way, right? I mean, they, they, they came into today's game being outscored 16 to 4. I mean, they were they were crushed. It's okay. Manny, Manny Machado said he, he's not at all, not at all worried. He's not at all worried. Um, the San Diego Padres, Tim, are 13 games back of the Colorado Rockies because they're 15 and a half games back of the Dodgers. They are closer to the last place Rockies, 13 games away from being in the last place, 15 and a half against uh, <laughs> away from being against the Dodgers. I mean. Come on. You're telling me, I know you want to squash things. Manny Machado, who's, you know, jogging to first base still. Manny Machado comes out and says he's not at all concerned. No, I'm not. A, I'm not at all concerned. Maybe that should be your problem. Right? Not at all concerned. Maybe that should be your problem. Maybe you should be concerned. Maybe that is what you need. Because you can't make the moves that they made, the monumental moves, and get humiliated. And that's what you just got, San Diego. Forget about this Slam Diego nonsense and Soto and all. You got humiliated on both sides of the ball. It wasn't like your pitching staff just got blown up. Well, but, but you know, our hitting was there. No, no, no. You lost 8-1, 8-3, and 4-0. You scored four runs in three games against the Dodgers. That's pathetic. You allowed 20 runs in three games against the Dodgers. That's pathetic. The Padres were never a threat to the Dodgers. They have not been a threat to the Dodgers, and the Dodgers are chuckling at the San Diego Padres. San Diego's playing a wild card game. There's no doubt about it. 
absolutely no doubt about it. And you you look at the Dodgers right now, no Walker Bueller, no Clayton Kershaw, Kimbrell struggling, Bellinger struggling, Max Muncy's batting 116. Tim, they have 75 wins. They've won eight games in a row with all of those problems. <laughs> Blake Trinan's coming back. Kershaw's coming back. Bueller's coming back. I mean, this team, they're just a juggernaut. They don't have to score runs with that pitching staff. Look at Goslin and Anderson, Tom. Tyler Anderson humiliated the San Diego Padres. How did, how did Juan Soto look this weekend? Not impressive, Tom. Yeah, well, a couple Juan walks Soto. today. A couple yeah, walks. Single-handedly. Single-handedly is going to win the division. Tyler Anderson said, ah, you're nothing. Well, we know the Dodgers are in the playoffs. Padres hang on, hanging on to that last spot in the wild card. It's a one-gamer if they make it. I hope they don't make it. So so realistically, the only team that could catch them, unless the Giants go on this massive run, would be the Brewers, Tommy, at one and a half games behind the Padres for that third spot. And you and I were talking about the Brewers off air and the, the problems they have brewing there. Even though I think the pitching is is good enough, that pitching staff, is they're good enough to get them in the playoffs, right? That's That's where I'm looking at it, but... There are some brewing problems there in the clubhouse. Yeah, I told you I read a, a quote, and I saw it, actually, and then I was reading uh, afterwards. Hunter Renfro basically today still talking about Josh Hader being out of that team. He's the heart and soul of the team. Um, you know, he's the guy. You lose a top-notch closer. Hmm. It, it's been it's been like a week, Tim. Man, Josh Hader's not on that team. I mean, it's, it's been a series here, right? And they're still talking about Josh Hader, and, and – there's a certain element to having that back end closer to a team. You know it. You, you're an Angel fan. You had Percival. You had just a lockdown feeling. I had Rivera. I'm a Yankee fan. That lockdown feeling, it's been a while. And it gives you a certain, just a little certain feeling that you go, okay, we're going to be fine. The Brewers fans felt like that. I know he had his hiccups, but Brewers fans felt like that for a while. Rodgers looked, looked good. He's looked good since he's coming over. Devin Williams gave up 200 runs today. Um, the Brewers just have a different look to them. They have a different feel to them. And I know that it's the hitting and it's always the hitting. I still consistently say that Milwaukee Brewers are the most dangerous team in baseball, strictly because Burns, Woodruff, and Peralta, the one, two, three, cannot be matched. You can't match it with Scherzer, DeGrom, and then a third, because that third is not as good as their third. You can't match it with the Dodgers, with Kershaw, Bueller, and whoever it's going to be, Gonsolin or Tyler Anderson, because I don't trust them. The Brewers are still the most dangerous team. But one of the elements why I used to say that for so long is because I love their eighth, ninth guys. They don't have that eighth, ninth guy anymore. They don't have that ninth guy right now anymore. So we don't know what's going on. I, I would, was on the Brewers before the year. I told you I thought that this could be the year the Brewers win the World Series. I had them going to the World Series. I have a, a standing ticket on them. I don't feel good about this Brewers team at all, Tim. Since the trade, the Brewers are 1-5, getting swept by Pittsburgh, including the last two games where the bullpen blue leads, and then they lose 2-3 or three to the Reds at home. 1-5, you, you mentioned locker room leader mentality. 
obviously a lot of the guys, and this is nothing against Rodgers or, or Devin Williams stepping into that role. A lot of the guys upset they hate her not there. And it's not that if they're going to, you know, there's a game and a half separation with San Diego. So there's plenty of time. But the problem is looking at the Brewers schedule, you have Tampa coming in. You have the car. You have to go on the road to take on the Cardinals. You have the Dodgers coming in. It doesn't get easy or for Milwaukee in the next couple of weeks, Tom. And the last thing you need is a disgruntled locker room and a long losing streak. Yeah, they're going to have to get over this. They need a new team leader to step up. It's very hard for a pitcher to be a team leader. It can happen here and there, uh, but generally speaking, it's hard for a pitcher to be a, a team leader. So you have Burns, you have Woodruff, you know, these guys are the team leaders, but they're not, they're not going to be that guy. So who's going to step up? Rowdy Telez, Willie Adamas. You know, I mean, McCutcheon's sort of a leader in that team, uh, but he's not even a full-time player at this point. So you, you're going to need one of these guys to sort of take over that position. Say what you want about Josh Hader, and I know he wrote bad texts like when he was like 16 years old, and everybody hates him for that. Okay, get that out of your mind. He was a team leader, and it shows how much of a team leader he was that days later, I mean, this isn't the next day. Days later, they're basically blaming the losing streak. One of the most sure bets that you could make over the last five years was the Brewers beating the Pittsburgh Pirates. They humiliate the Pirates. They destroy the Pirates. So all they do is beat up on the Pirates. Pirates actually beat them and beat them pretty good. Then, well, the Reds. All right, we're going to get well against the Reds. They're a terrible team. Milwaukee always beats the Reds. They just lost to Pittsburgh and the Reds, man. I mean, that is just, ooh, that's a hard pill to swallow. You lost three straight to the Pirates and two or three to the Reds. This is this is a bad, bad situation right now. And I don't blame it strictly on that performance of Hater or the absence of his arm. But clearly, if the teammates in the locker room are still mentioning him, he was that big of a leader that you have to turn around and you have to say, this is a major concern. Last night you asked me why Baltimore would trade. In this in this instance, it was their closer as well, Lopez, who they had under control for another two seasons and essentially get nothing back, right? We had talked about which way are you leaning, like – What's the thought process? So in Milwaukee, it's a little bit different, right, Tom, in that they did get a return in in a bullpen arm in Rodgers, who, who was struggling in San Diego a bit, but sometimes you need to change the scenery. But you're talking about your closer, right? You're talking about Josh Hader, a guy who has been unhittable at times. And I, I realize... And he's the best closer in the sport for the last five years. Right. And what do you have this year? A bad month and a half? And you just... Not even. Had bad, like, four bad outings, Tim. Okay, even worse. And yet four bad. I know they were in a row, but and yeah, I remember yeah. Tom. I remember watching. I was flipping around late. It was a late game. They were in San Francisco, and he came in with a two-run lead and gave up four runs. I remember exactly the meltdown beginning for Josh Hader at that point. But that's your guy. That's the guy that you're going to go to the playoffs with. And it's not like he's a free agent next year. He has another RB year. So that blows my mind even more. Is you're a playoff team for sure with him. I can't say the same that you are without him. And I know I, I love the pitching staff too. I agree with you hundred percent on that. But when you get to that back end, you're going to have to have somebody close these games out. How do you just not go with a guy that's been your, your, your uh, bread and butter for the last three to five years? It's crazy. They, that had, you would better just hope, they had better hope that Devin Williams is what they think Devin Williams is. Um, and then you could have Rogers setting up for him because Rogers was shaky. Hey, look, he did, only blow six saves, but he, he, he was shaky. 
He's not the guy you want on the mound against, let's just say, the Dodgers or the Mets in a playoff game to go to the World Series. You don't want Rodgers or Devin Williams out there. Josh Hader, take him all day. So you're, you're, uh... I, by the way, that's why I thought that the Phillies are now so dangerous. The Phillies just become massively dangerous because they're doing this. Tim, the Phillies are, are a wild card team right now. They have, you know, they're, they're nine and a half games back of the Mets. I get it. They're probably not catching the Mets, but they're only three games back of the Braves. They have Wheeler and Nola one, two. We mentioned who they could be their third. And that's why I said, all of a sudden, you put David Robertson in the ninth. Your eighth becomes Dominguez, who has about a two ERA. Your lefty setup man becomes Brad Hand, who has just over a two ERA. All of a sudden, your bullpen takes a completely different look. And the, the Phillies are still getting back Bryce Harper. Where I used to think that Milwaukee had all the elements to be that dangerous playoff team, Philly has these elements. They've won nine of ten, five in a row, and they scored 30 one runs this weekend against Washington, Tom. <laughs> Without Bryce Harper. Without Bryce Harper, right. <clears throat> and that's the thing. I mean, everyone's talking about this. Oh, you know, a big addition, a big addition. A big addition is going to be Bryce Harper to this team. They, you know, they're 9-1 the last 10 games. They are rolling right now. Yeah, the, the thing's going to be like, who, who won the trade deadline? Well, the Phillies will when, when Bryce comes back as the ascent, you know, your thought process should be. So. Yeah, absolutely. Who won the trade deadline? The, the the Mets getting DeGrom back and the Phillies getting Bryce Harper back. Right, right. <laughs> but on the American League side, we, we saw the Toronto's wild card one, Tampa and Seattle hold spots two and three, and here's the fun, the fun team, the fun teams, Tommy. Cleveland, Baltimore, Chicago, Boston, all within between two and five games. Uh, Boston under five hundred, five games back. Chicago has now over 500. They were under 500 for a long time. They've, they've actually put it together and gone back over. And then you have Cleveland and Baltimore teams that nobody expected to be there at this point. Yeah, I think the White Sox get a spot. I've never faltered on that. I've never wavered on it. I think that Lance Lynn is going to be better. Giolito's going to have a better second half. Uh, Dylan Cease is just unreal what he's doing right now. I think the White Sox steal one of these spots, whether it be from uh, Tampa, Seattle, or Toronto. Um, I have questions about all three. All three of them might be out. I don't believe in your Baltimore Orioles. I'm sorry. I think that they've had a great year. I just don't think that the pitching is going to suffice late unless they bring up the kids. If I see Gunnar Henderson and D.L. Hall on this team, Tim, I'll change my tune, but no. I think that the Cleveland collapse has started, and I thought that they would start. The, The one thing about Cleveland is they do have an ace in Bieber. They do have a real good eight, nine guys in Karachak and uh, even Morgan, seven, eight, nine, Karen, Jack Morgan, and Class A. So they have some elements. They got a superstar in the middle in Ramirez. I just don't believe in Cleveland. The, the Boston Red Sox, look, they've had a miserable year. They have the talent, though, Tim. I just don't know if they have the pitching yet. So I'm looking at this. I'm saying I'm going to flip-flop. I'm going to take the Tampa Bay Rays out, and I'm going to put the White Sox in there. Give me Toronto. Seattle and the White Sox, but I could I could get rid of Toronto or Seattle just as easily. I like Toronto. I like Chicago. <sighs> I don't know. The, the last one's it's tough, and I think whether it be Tom, whether it be Seattle, or somehow uh, Tampa hangs on, 
or even for Pete's sake, say Boston goes on a run. I agree with you 100%. The pitching's out there. They just lost three or four to, to Kansas City and got just absolutely raked over the coals. That's a one. That's a one and done for whoever the third wild card team is there because Chicago, we all agreed at the beginning of the year, they're built for a playoff spot. They just, for whatever reason, injuries, it wasn't working out, but they seem to have righted that ship. And I think they're just, like you said, they'll move into the playoffs. Tampa, this isn't the same Tampa. You know, we look at Tampa and we're like, how do they do it? How do they do it? Well, this isn't the same how do they do it. They're 58 and 50. And, and I looked at that lineup the other day, Tommy. I was just amazed that they're 58 and 50. It's That lineup is not at all uh, intimidating, at least. that I just don't see them scoring runs. No, I mean, they're going to have to get healthy fast. Wander Franco and whatnot are going to have to get healthy. They're going to have to come back fast. It just doesn't look like they're going to come back fast enough. And I do have my concerns with Seattle. You know, I mean, they're hanging on and everybody's loving them and they're eight games over 500. And, they, you know, they beat the Yankees. And now, I, I mean, Seattle's rolling right now. But it is a team full of a lot of holes in that lineup. I mean, a guy like J.P. Crawford, the only reason he's even batting over 250 is because he had like a 300 batting average. A 350 batting average almost in April, right? Um, you have some big holes in that lineup. I like Cal Raleigh. I think he's got a bright future. Guy's barely batting 200. You have a lot of holes in that lineup, and their pitching is young. Young pitching doesn't scare me in the playoffs. It doesn't. You look at any of these teams as a playoff team, the White Sox are the only scary team among the bunch. Yanks lost five in a row, Tom. Lose two or three to Seattle. Swept in St. Louis. Now they head to the West Coast. They're going to take on that same Seattle team. What's the problem in New York right now? Since June 19th, they're two games under 500, Dan. Um, the problem, you can you can look at the problem all day long. You, you can sit back and I could give you a litany of problems. Their bullpen was having problems. Their starting pitching is an issue. They can't hit with runners in scoring position. You, you can blame the pitching, and I do blame the pitching, okay? The pitching... I think we'll figure itself out. I think Garrett Cole is better than what we've seen. Uh, Nestor Gortez has been solid. I think Frankie Montes is better than what we watched today. You know, I think that the, that's that's going to be eradicated and fixed. They send down Ron Marinaccio for no reason at all. He'll be back up. He looks dynamic. Clark will be up. I mean, they, they're going to fix this pitching. The problem is the hitting, Tim. Cashman put all his eggs in the basket of Harrison Bader, who's on the injured list, and Andrew Benintendi. Aaron Hicks can't hit his way out of paper, but I don't care that he went three for three. Aaron Hicks is atrocious. He's terrible. Isaiah Kainafalefa is terrible. Josh Donaldson watched three balls, direct strikes right down the middle of the plate today, struck out on three straight balls. He's terrible. Anthony Rizzo's injured. Lou Trevino's playing above his head. You know, you start to look at the lineup and you go, and Stanton's injured, by the way. You start to look at the lineup and you go, this team can't score. But I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about their hitting because I think that they will find their groove hitting again. The whole thing is this. I think that the pitching will find its groove. I think that the hitting will find its groove, Tim. Will it click at the same time? Because the hitting is going to get Stanton back. The hitting will get Rizzo back. DJ LeMahieu is now getting hot. The hitting will start to come back. But if the Yankees' insistence is consistently putting Isaiah Kainafalef for Josh Donaldson and Aaron Hicks in the lineup, they are not winning anything. It's time to bring up Peraza, bring up Volpe, let him miss a level, and get rid of Kainafalefa. Move him over to third if you want to have a defensive replacement there. Donaldson, 
Falefa, both of them were giant mistakes. I called it out at the day that it, that it happened. I called it out, Brian Cashman, the day that it went down. We all knew it was a mistake, and it's turning out to be a giant mistake because they won't switch the lineup. You have to get this lineup right. I think it will get right, Tim, but will it get right right around the time that the pitching gets right? We all just hope that it happens and clicks at the same time. I'm worried about the Yankees. If you're a fan of pitching like Tommy and I, check out these matchups. Yankees at the Mariners beginning tomorrow. Not so much tomorrow, Tammy Centalion against Logan Gilbert, but Tuesday night, Garrett Cole versus Louis Castillo. Wednesday afternoon, Tom, you get Cortez, and you get four Seattle Mariners. Last year's Cy Young winner and Robbie Ray. So some good pitching, hopefully some good pitching here in the next couple of days. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll tell you, you know, it's getting fashionable now to kind of rip on Garrett Cole. This is one of those starts in the Yankee season. The New York Yankees are, are reeling right now. They've lost five games in a row. The Yankees don't look good. Everyone's questioning the 70-win Yankee team. Everyone's questioning Garrett Cole. Is he really an ace any longer? Everything's going wrong. I expect Tyon to get blasted tomorrow, and it's going to be even worse. That's it. This team is garbage. That start for Cole is going to be one of the more important starts, the most important start of the year, one of the more important starts for the New York Yankees, giving this team confidence back that you do have an ace. Go out there. You can't lose to Louis Castillo, the guy that everybody wanted you to go get. You can't lose to him twice in a row. You can't. That Garrett Cole start on Tuesday is must-watch TV. Are you saying, Tom, that you are not laying the dollar fifteen on Jamison Talion tomorrow. Now Talion's garbage. I mean, uh, you know, uh, th- there's if if you just said Waldechuk got blown up, I was screaming for Waldechuk to take his place in the rotation. Then JP Sears was going to be my guy. Yeah, he's out of town too. Uh, then I was like, wait a minute, what about this kid Wazinski? Uh, oh no, he's out of town too. So <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, I think Jamison Talion's time with the Yankees and being an effective starter are long gone, Tim. I mean, theoretically, if you really want to look at it, Jordan Montgomery should be starting tomorrow night. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Still does it. I, I, I had a Yankee fan text me tonight. Why do we get rid of Jordan Montgomery? Can you give me some insight? I said, absolutely none. <laughs> I, I have nothing for you. Absolutely nothing for you. Well, Tom, you do have something for all of us that's quality, quality selections over at TomBartonSports.com. You win. That's all you do is every week. Turn a profit, talk about the website, and all the other stuff Tom Barton does. You're a busy, busy man. Yeah, guys. I want you to check it all out over at TomBartonSports.com. Like I said, I'll extend the offer again tonight. If you sign up tonight, I'm giving you all of August and all of September for less than $100 at TomBartonSports.com. You're going to get every single play, all the college football, all the NFL. There's no upgrades. There's no phone calls. None of it. You sign up at TomBartonSports.com. You're ready to go. You can do it through PayPal. You do it through the website. doesn't matter. You're going to get almost two months of service for less than $100. You can't beat that. It's TomBartonSports.com. Also, go check me out, Tom Barton Sports, over on YouTube. Go check out the podcast. Wagering Week is the podcast. Hey, my Believe in Ivy League. Believe in the Ivy League podcast. Oh, that, that'll win you some money if you pay attention to that as well. We're going to start uh, really amping that up for the football season. Even if you're not a sports better, you just like to listen to the Ivies. Yeah, that'll give you some insight there. And we have Wagering Week, which is Tim's favorite podcast. 
already loaded last night listen to it you know it's my it's my sunday morning drive home with tom barton tommy enjoy your week off we'll talk in two weeks time all right have a good one everybody thank you for tom barton for ryan back in happy early birthday tim thank you man i appreciate it for uh ryan back in the booth tim unglesby enjoy your week off Heatwave Sports back at it Saturday night, August the 20th, 10 o'clock, right here on Fox Sports Radio Las Vegas, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM.